It's Tuesday, October 6th, time for episode 35 of the Sports Wagon Podcast. Good evening, everyone. It's your man, Uncle Dub. Hit me up on Twitter at It's Uncle Dub, I T S U N C L E underscore D U B. Wow, it is October, and we are in essentially the perfect storm of sports, although one of these things is truly not like the other. So we've got football, we've got um, tennis, we've got basketball, uh, and of course, we've got baseball. Baseball kind of fits. It's October, but we're kind of a little bit... um, behind, if you will, considering that baseball played a 50 game schedule and there's some baseball going on right now. Baseball that happened today. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Um, Some news and notes for today. Um, So by now you've heard about Bill O'Brien. He was fired as the head coach and the general manager of the Houston Texans. Um, They're off to an 0-4 start. Um, I guess a lot of people kind of saw this one coming. Um, considering that, you know, after becoming GM, he made a lot of terrible moves. And now when you see sports fans and those who you know follow sports, follow football, when you see them talking about trades like trading away DeAndre Hopkins, trading away Javadion uh, J- J- Clowney, um, even, you know, just regular fans talking about this, when you get you know, Texans fans, I couldn't imagine how they felt. I mean, I'm sure they were just beside themselves to see this kind of talent walk. Um, but here's the unusual piece to this. They started on four, but over seven seasons, Bill O'Brien was 52 and 48. He is the only coach in franchise history, the Houston Texans franchise history to have a winning record. So he kind of did something right. So he played a hundred games and he was two games. What was I doing my math right? He's two games over five hundred. Yes, two games over five hundred. Go with it. <laughs> I never said I was a math major. Um, so they won four AFC South championships. They were on their way to Super Bowl last year. If you remember, they had a twenty-four nothing lead over Kansas City, and they lost that lead. And KC came back and beat them. I forget the score, but I believe KC ended up scoring fifty-one points. And we all know how that ended for them. So Bill O'Brien finds himself in an interesting, interesting position because here's a guy who has experience in both the NFL and in college. Remember that he um, was the, the head coach at Penn State. So after the Jerry Sandusky sca- sta- uh, scandal, blah, 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 he was hired to kind of restore the luster of the, the Penn State program and under severe constraints under, you know, scholarship limitations, having a thin roster. He actually turned the tide fairly nicely and he left. And that's when James Franklin took over. He was currently the head coach at uh, Penn State. So you can expect that this is not going to be the last time you're going to see Bill O'Brien. He's uh, a good target. I mean, now, again, you can talk, you talk questionably about what he did here with Houston, with that 0-4 start, being general general manager. And here's my thing. I have never been a big fan of someone being a head coach and a general manager. I mean, pick one. I know that in some respects, or I can I feel like in some respects, that if you are the head coach, you have an idea of what the team needs. But I feel like you need somebody who's going to be devoted full-time to that job. 
Now, I'm not saying that if he were just a head coach, this wouldn't happen. Well, maybe it would have because, again, him being general manager, he basically made a lot of the deals that depleted this team. So I go back to my original point. My, my original statement stands regardless of, you know, anything else has been st- said. I really think GM head coach is a terrible combination. It, there, there have been people who've been successful at it and there have been people who've been terrible at it. But I feel like, you know, you kind of need to leave those decisions to someone else, because guess what? If now if in the crazy chance that someone else was the GM and made these decisions, you probably couldn't put all this on him, but potentially or uh, or you sweep, sweep, you sweep house, you get rid of everybody. But nevertheless, it's what's done is done. Um I think he'd be a good target for jobs coming open, whether they be in the pros or in college, because there are some college jobs that are, you know, potential. There's some potential openings coming up. Um, so we we know, for example, um, at, at Vanderbilt, Derek Mason's on the hot seat. Um, probably, depending on how this is going to go, Vanderbilt is probably not going to do uh, that well this season. I don't think that they have won a game this season. I could be totally wrong. I have to check on that. But Vanderbilt's a possible place. South Carolina. I mean, South Carolina fans, I watched them on Twitter over the weekend and they were just livid at at what their team was doing on the field. And you, you can, you can best believe that um, you can best, you can best believe that they want some change because they are a little tired of kind of not, being the South Carolina football program that they are used to being. And then potentially at NC State, there have been some talk about Dave Doran kind of getting pushed out the door. I don't really think I see that. Um, you know, Doran's a good coach. Uh, State, I think, is 2-1 and one right now. Um, kind, of, kind of follow back on, on Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt's 0-2 currently. And they play, actually, the aforementioned South Carolina on Saturday. So it's going to be interesting to see how that one plays out. But I mean, the schedule considering it's the SEC, the schedule is not going to be favorable to this team. So, I mean, if they don't come out looking halfway sterling by the end of this thing, I think potentially Dave Mace, Derek Mason, rather Derek Mason will probably be let go. Okay. So the Texans, their interim coach will be Romeo Crennel. So I'm good. So I'm going to figure that that's going to be the way of things uh, for the immediate future. Um, for the Houston Texans. So next, uh, NBA here. So as we know, game four, uh, I think, has just tipped off. So it's about 925 Eastern right now. So as we know, um, the Lakers lead 2-1 in this. So in game three, your man James Tiberius Butler, we all know him as Jimmy, went for the triple-double, uh, 40 points, 11 rebounds, and 13 assists. He got some help from Duncan Robinson and Tyler Harrow. They both combined for 30 points. And Kelly Olenek came off the bench with 17. For the Lakers, LeBron almost had a triple-double. He had 25 points, 10 rebounds, and 8 assists. Um, I believe they will be getting um, some help tonight. Um, um, Let me check the score. So currently right now it's 5-4 Lakers early in the first quarter. Um, I believe Bam, Bam Adebayo is back. So he is going to be a big help. So I kind of feel like um, if they get that kind of scoring, they get some bench scoring, 
they get some guys stepping up and, you know, Jimmy Butler putting them on their back. We could see a 2-2 series by the time this night is over, but a lot of things have to happen. And there's um, a lot of time to play in this one as this one has just kicked off. Oh, I'm sorry. Here's a refresh. Ah, 21-16 Lakers. Okay, so we'll go from that. Uh, breaking news, the Seattle Storm sweep the Las Vegas Aces for their record tying fourth WNBA title. Congratulations to uh, Sue Bird and the Seattle Storm for um, approaching – um some immortality here so they tied for their four nba titles so um looks like we got a little bit of a dynasty that is developing in seattle so it's gonna be interesting to see how their offseason goes for uh the wnba especially the seattle storm and 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 their and their players and coaches um let's go to a major league here so major league baseball um, so two games down in the Houston, uh, at, uh, Oakland A series, Houston won today, five to two, George Springer had two home runs in game one yesterday, Houston won 10 to five, Carlos Carrera had two home runs and four RBI. So currently Houston has a two to nothing, two games to none lead over the Oakland athletics It's the five game series. So, uh, they will be playing again. I'm going to assume they're going to be playing again, either tomorrow or on Friday, to kind of clinch the series. I'm going to take a quick look at the schedule here. Um, tomorrow is Thursday. Yeah, they're going to go again tomorrow. Um, so, um, oh, no. Um, maybe tomorrow. Tomorrow's Wednesday. Ha, I'm a day ahead of myself here. Um, so, yeah, so they're going to go again tomorrow. So, uh, Houston will go for the sweep tomorrow against the, uh, the Oakland A's. Um, let's see, New York Yankees, um, the Yankees, uh, beat Tampa Bay nine to three, a couple days ago. So it'll be yesterday on Tuesday, uh, today's matchup, I believe is currently going on. I can't get my scores to refresh here. Yes, they are currently playing, uh, where are we at here? Five to one Rays currently in the end of the third. So they're playing time in that game. New York leads one to nothing. Uh, Giancarlo Stanton had a grand slam in the ninth. Overall, in that first game, the Yankees had four home runs for uh, in that game. So they're currently holding a 1-0 lead in that series. Uh, from the rest of Major League Baseball in the playoffs today, um, Atlanta uh, won game one of their divisional series with Miami. Uh, they beat the, uh, the Marlins 9-5. Ronald Acuna Jr. went two for four and had a leadoff home run to start the game. So 1-0 for Atlanta. They'll go again tomorrow. Um, so tonight, uh, I believe the game starts at 9.38. They'll be on Fox Sports 1 at Globe Life Field in Arlington, Texas. The San Diego Padres will take on the, the Los Angeles Dodgers. So Mike Clevenger, so he's been on the injured reserve list. He got cleared, and he'll go against Walker Bueller. Uh, Bueller. Um, <laughs> in uh, their first matchup in the National League Divisional Series best of five series. Um, so Major League Baseball uh, lost a legend recently, uh, Bob Gibson. So uh, he died at the age of 84 due to pancreatic cancer. So he was diagnosed about a year ago. Um, Gibson led a very long career, distinguished career. Um, he had 17 strikeouts in the first game of the 1968 World Series against Detroit. And I and, and sadly enough, he passed uh, on the anniversary of that game. 
Um, he is in the 3000 strikeout club. He spent his entire career with St. Louis. He had 521 seasons. He was the National League MVP and Cy Young winner in 1968. He had a, a career ERA of 1.11. And he was in an era of very strong, hard pitchers. And his delivery was, I don't know if we call it ortho, un, uh, ortho, unorthodox, but he would throw the ball with such such velocity and such force that, you know, he's a right-hander. So as he threw the ball, he would sort of list to the first base side of the field as he finished his, his windup. So due to his force of his throws and, and how commanding he was on the mound, the major league baseball lowered the pitcher's mound. They lowered it from 15 inches down to 10 inches okay so um so his pitching caused a rule change within baseball okay um so you know r.i.p to bob gibson so another uh great of the game and uh has, has left us um lou brock uh, another uh, st louis um, player and Hall of Famer, um, you know, died um, not too long before him, a few weeks prior. So, you know, a big loss to baseball, um, uh, truly one of the greats of the game. And, you know, I didn't know much about Bob Gibson growing up. I do remember he he did commercials when I was a kid and I read up on him, you know, growing up because I was so much into baseball and read about, you know, his, you know, just how you know hard he threw, his imposing stance on the mound um was not aware of you know all of his statistics knew that he um had this big game in the world series um i did know he had 521 seasons but i was not aware of his mvps and cy youngs in that year but that era is extremely impressive and thus a reason why he is in the baseball hall of fame um moving to the french open so the french open today uh, the women's quarters has begun, so I have to get some information on that. I actually did not get the information for that prior to, but the men's quarters will start uh, tomorrow. Um, I think we can cross Dominique team off the list. Um, so f- as far as I've observed now, Rafael Nadal and Novak Djokovic are still alive in the men's quarters. So um, that will be something interesting to watch. But on the women's side, um, all the quarterfinalists, I believe none of them have won a Grand Slam title. So we're going to be assured that we're going to get at least uh, a winner of this who will be winning a Grand Slam for the first time. So, you know, um, you know, the, the French Open was fortunate that they had the opportunity to play considering everything with COVID. But because of the way the season kind of played out. Um, they lost a lot of star power either due to COVID. So again, a lot of your stars that you would typically see opted out of playing in this tournament this year, as well as um, injuries. So Serena Williams was injured. Uh, Naomi Osaka pulled out. Uh, so she just won the U.S. Open a few weeks ago. So um, so again, it gives an opportunity for um, you know to put the spotlight front and center on a new champion. In the French Open, so again, it's going to be um, interesting to see uh, who emerges there. But 
out of the French Open, we've had a little bit of controversy. So a lot of players have been calling uh, more for electronic line reviews. Um, since the French Open is played on clay, it's very difficult to, at least in the estimation of the officials of the French Open, it's very difficult to have an electronic system when the clay keeps shifting and it covers the lines and makes it difficult to call a lot of balls in and out or to call uh, faults or uh, you know box faults or service faults or what have you. Um, um, I believe there's Rafael Nadal who said that there were clay systems that were in use in tournaments in Brazil. They worked very well. They managed to take the time to install the systems, work out any bugs in them, and they worked very well. Um, this goes to some um, concerns that were brought about by uh, players at U.S. Open. Now, the U.S. Open um, and most tournaments have replay systems in use, so they will do replays. Uh, players have the opportunity to challenge a play. Um, and I don't remember how many challenges they get per set, but they get so many challenges per, per, per match or whatever, and they can raise their hand. The referee will put the shot on the screen and they will show them the shot, whether it was in or out. So the shot, so the, uh, the call can be upheld or overturned. Um, players at the U S open were complaining that electronic systems should be used. So if you watch closely, if you watch any of the U S open, you probably noticed that at the baseline, there is a judge that usually sits at the baseline. The judge sits at the baseline to judge for foot faults. Um, on the other side, there is uh, line judges who will judge for service faults. So, um, well, let me back up. They will attempt to judge for service faults. Um, Wimbledon has been using um, laser and computerized electronic systems for years, and they work very well. So when the ball goes long, if there's a foot fault, even if there's a net cord fault, you will hear a beep. So... For me to say that these electronic line reviews, you know, for these tournaments like the U.S. Open, the tournaments like the French Open, to say that, you know, the officials going, I don't know, they work just fine. Now, clay, I can understand. And it seems as if there's a system that works well for clay. I say I'm all for it. Let's try to get the electronic line reviews in play in these tournaments because you know a lot of players have felt that they have lost matches because of terrible calls and again you know you'd rather that you be right as right as you can in tennis you have the opportunity to have the electronic use of these systems in order to ensure that players you know get you you get the call and you get it right i mean hell we do replays in football and basketball for goodness sake why don't you give these damn players um an electronic um system that will call these uh these balls precisely and you know you can you know get the play right and no one feels like they're losing based on a technicality if you lose the match you lose the match but why would you want to lose on a technicality why would you want anyone to lose based off of that. Okay. Um, so when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more college football and a touch of college basketball um, after these words. All right. And we're back. So some news and notes from college basketball. So Georgetown, Georgetown basketball, Dikembe Mutombo's son, Ryan has committed to play for Georgetown. So this basically is historic 
because what this means is the sons of three Hall of Fame centers who play for Georgetown, Ewing, Patrick Ewing, who's the current head coach, Dikembe Mutombo, and Alonzo Mourning will all have played for Georgetown. And this is huge because uh, Patrick Ewing made it a priority to recruit uh, Ryan. He chose Georgetown from uh, uh, Georgetown, Tennessee, Stanford, and Georgia were his last four schools. He chose Georgetown. Um, Currently, in the fold currently as committed, guards Tyler Beard, Jordan Riley for Jalen Billingsley. Ewing still has some other guys that he is pursuing. So two five-star prospects, uh, guard uh, Aminu Muhammad and Efton Reed. So they are both number 11 and number 18 in the ESPN 100, respectively. So Ryan is center. He is uh, he's ranked 94th in the 2021 class in ESPN 100. This is huge. Um, you know, when... Patrick Ewing got hired, you know, being part of a national championship team, playing for the late, great John Thompson. He knew that it was important for his legacy, for the Thompson legacy, for the Georgetown legacy, and for him as a coach, having been a George, having being a Georgetown man, that restoring this program back to, you know, to greatness in college basketball. And so this is big and I'm really happy for uh, Coach Ewing, and I hope that, you know, all the pieces are starting to fit together and they're going to bring it home and just do some great things at Georgetown. So, you know, the, the one great thing about sports that I love is, you know, there are a lot of teams that, you know, I don't root for every team. There are some games I want to see certain teams play a certain way. I, you know, I might say I want to root for this team in this particular situation. But college basketball, college football, there are just certain teams that if they're not playing well, it's something just doesn't feel right about the sport. You know, you know, Georgetown, you know, all the great players, the legacy that 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 program has, the luster has been lost. It's coming back. But you like to see a program like Georgetown, you know, come back and just be great and just, you know, be amongst the greats in college basketball. So, I mean, it wouldn't feel right if, Kentucky wasn't playing well. That would just, I mean, I'm not a Kentucky fan. I'm not, you know, but that would just feel weird because, you know, you expect that the Wildcats would be, will be in the mix. Now, again, they got a great coach and coach Cal, you know, I'm not worried, but you know, if you, if that ever happened, then it's kind of like, you know, it just, you're rooting for your team and your, your conference and, you know, whoever you align yourself with. But when the really good teams aren't great, it's really not good for the sport or it just makes the sport not feel as, you know, you don't feel as good about the sport when the when the teams that you expect to be good aren't good. So, again, this is fantastic news for Georgetown. I'm sure Georgetown fans are really excited. They have a right to be. And, you know, it, it's going to be fun to see how this team starts to come together. Um, I'm still waiting to hear. I think a couple episodes ago, I talked about the NCAA's plan for basketball to begin. So in the next uh, few weeks, basketball, you know, basketball operations are ramping up. Uh, we're going to see practices starting. There are going to be, you know, very few to no preseason games, if any. Um, and then we're going to jump right into tournaments. So I'm hoping that, you know, this plan will work. They're going to be um, some of these um, classics that I mentioned, some of these tournaments that we're used to seeing, they're going to get moved around, pushing the bubbles to keep players safe, but we're going to see some basketball and it's going to be a truncated season, but I mean, it's going to be something. 
Um, you know, for me, I kind of put on my, 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 my scientist and public health hat and I think, okay, I'm a little skittish about this, but as long as there's a plan, as long as there's, you know, that utmost attention to keeping players safe, then that's what I'm all about. As long as they're safe, they're able to do what they're there to do. Student athlete, I would say student athlete, they're there to study and to pursue their passions and their academic goals. But in doing that, they also play a sport. So we have to ensure that they're healthy, they're pursuing what they are there to pursue. And then, hey, let's play a little, let's play a little basketball. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited for the season to come and um, I can't wait for the rankings to come out. That's when I think I get real like, okay, it's real. Now let's start playing these games. So um, I got to calm down here because we got to go back and talk about a little more college football here. Um, so last week I had uh, four picks. I was one for one out of three last week out of four picks. So the only game I got right was Alabama over Texas A&M. I think they won big. Um, that Navy Air Force game, I, I really, really wanted to pick Navy and I should have, but I was kind of second guessing myself. I said, well, you know what? They really took it on the chin against BYU. And that was a different situation because number one, as you, as has been well-documented because of COVID, they didn't do a lot of, uh, tackling BYU came in, steamrolled them. BYU is looking legit. They are looking like a very good team. And if this were a full season, I think that this would be a team that people would be looking out for to probably sneak in the back door, maybe get, you know, possibly get close to getting into the college football playoff. But, um, you know, Iowa State beat Oklahoma, which that completely shocked me after they, you know, Oklahoma drops that first game. I'm thinking, okay, all bets are off. Oklahoma's going to, kind of pushing and going another rampage here in Iowa State got them. So Iowa State's looking like, you know, looking like a good team, but they got a good quarterback in Brock Purdy. And then the Georgia-Auburn game, well, you know, you can't win them all. But, you know, um, Georgia um, really, really uh, made a statement in that game. So, you know, what can you say? But, hey, they're just picks. We live to move on to do something else. Um, in week six, um, let's see, I got about six games here, actually. Um, we'll start with Texas at Oklahoma. So speaking of the aforementioned Oklahoma Sooners, it is that time. It is time for the, wait for it, the Red River Shootout. I said it. Okay. I, I said it, engrave it, pass to the people. It will always be the Red River Shootout to me. So if you're one of those, oh, it's the Red River Rivalry. Yeah, go sit somewhere else. Go go sit with the little kids. It's the Red River Shootout. I said it. Argue with your lawyer. Okay. They'll be at the Cotton Bowl. So as you know, that's the big rivalry. So they basically split the stadium in half. Half the stadium will be that Texas Orange. The other half will be Boomer Sooner. So we're going to see how that one's going to go as Texas, um, I think they dropped their uh, game this past week. Um, so they're going to be looking to win in Oklahoma. They need to win pretty badly. Um, other games, uh, Virginia Tech, 19th ring in the country, go to Chapel Hill. Keenan Stadium will be the site. They'll play UNC, number eight in the country. Uh, number four, Florida visits, visits Kyle Field at College Station to play Texas A&M, who are ranked 21. Tennessee, the 14th ranked, the 14th ranked Tennessee Volunteers, 
huh, what happened? I mean, wasn't it about a, a year or two ago that this team was almost left for dead? They're now 14th ranked in the country. They go visit Georgia. So I just talked about Georgia a moment ago. They play between the hedges. Uh, that will probably be the CBS game of the week, probably. I have to check the schedule. Um, Alabama goes to Oxford to play Mississippi. So it's Saban versus Kiffin. <laughs> As if Saban and versus Kiffin ever stopped. I mean, Saban was at Kiffin when he was next to him as the offensive coordinator. And then Kiffin won't leave that man alone. So it's all be interesting to how this how this is going to go. It's, it's a weird year. It's a weird year in a lot of ways, but it's a weird year when you see Nick Saban. I think I've seen Nick Saban smile at least four times this season. Huh? I mean, if you watch Alabama games, that man never smiles. I saw him smiling in two interviews. I've seen him on ESPN. He was smiling. What is going on in 2020? Nick Saban smiling? Okay. Clearly, he knows something that we don't, but I'm just going to let it go. I mean, that's going to be an interesting game. We'll see how that one turns out. Um, I'll try to make some picks later on in the week here. Um, and then the primetime ABC game. So it starts at 730. Miami goes to Death Valley to play Clemson. So uh, six good games in week six. Um, so kind of looking at these matchups, it kind of leads me to my question of this episode. So... With this season, they're all trying to get to the college football championship. So as we know, college football championship only has four, four, four teams competing. So they have your semifinals and your finals. Um, will this year, when we crown a college football playoff championship, will this championship have an asterisk by it? Now, I ask you this question because that's kind of been the conversation. So we're in the age of COVID. We've had truncated seasons and, you know, someone asks this question. It's like, oh, well, with this NBA title that currently the Lakers and the Heat are playing for, will this have a little asterisk by it to say, oh, that's the COVID championship? Why would it? They restarted the season. They played out the remaining games. They had a fantastic plan. You got to see on the Western Conference side a fantastic playing game between Memphis and and Portland, Portland got in and everybody played through all their rounds of the playoffs as as planned, as you know, as they laid out the plan. Here's how we're going to play these games. They played the games and we now have two very worthy teams playing for an NBA title. Why would you put an asterisk next to that? You could say later, well, this championship was won in the year with COVID. Other than that, it is a legit, legitly one championship. Baseball, same thing. You had a few hiccups with, you know, teams, you know, popping positive for the virus. They would postpone a game, move a game around. Maybe some games got canceled. Nevertheless, everyone played. The best teams are now playing for the right to be in the World Series. I mean, again, you say the same thing. Okay, when we're done, so excuse me, Southern team will be the champion. And then you'll say, okay, in this year when COVID was a problem, this team won the championship. But there's nothing that's unusual or strange about it, at least in my opinion. Now, when I look at college football, maybe. And here's why I say that. Here's kind of what I present to you. First of all, this season has started off 
with the ACC and the Big 12 kicking off their season. The SEC comes not too long after that, which made things interesting. Next up in the next week or two will be the Big 10. So right now, as we typically see in previous years, the SEC bar none is the best, best conference in football. And I can say that I feel that way currently now. When the Big Ten comes in, it's going to be interesting to see how they will look as a conference. But you know that the teams who are going to compete for the title, okay, you got your your Penn State's, your Ohio State's, your Michigan's, Michigan State's. Those teams are going to be competing to try to get their way into the college football playoff. Then by November, here comes the Pac-12. So my question here is, first of all, thinking about when the Pac-12 is going to come in, will they even be a factor in this? Because when you look at the Pac-12, generally you look at four teams, Oregon, USC, Utah, Stanford. Those are the four teams that usually are on your radar. Then you might get someone else sneaking around the chicken coop. You might get a cow that might pop up and do something. Uh, Oregon State's trying to push their way uh, into into the picture, but those are the four teams you're looking at. But will these teams play football that the committee will look at and say, in comparison to the other three conferences who have already started playing, most of the conferences are playing a conference slate only. How will that look to the to the committee to say, will the, the you know because the Pac-12 started so late. Are they even going to be considered? They should be, but then you have to look at the body of work as we typically do when we're trying to pick these teams. Now, let's look at the other three conferences here. You got the Big Ten, SEC, I'm sorry, four conferences, Big Ten, SEC, Big 12, and ACC. Fine. So the first three, ACC, Big 12, and SEC, are kind of ahead of the game. So do you think that there's more of a uh, uh, more of a preference for those teams that because they've had more games, had more uh, opportunities to play, that they would get more credence from the committee. Yes and no, because, again, the ACC, you look at the ACC, you say, OK, the ACC is Clemson and everybody else. So more than likely, barring some major upset, major meltdown, Clemson's going to be the team. The rest of the ACC is just going to, you know, just kind of fan out into, you know, whatever they're going to do. Um, the Big 12 is like an upheaval right now. I mean, the standings in the Big 12 are completely not what you expect right now. So when we look at the Big 12 standings right now, we say, okay, currently your top three teams are, wait for it, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, and Kansas State. Behind them, you got four teams with are at one and one, West Virginia, TCU, Texas, and Baylor. The bottom three, Oklahoma, which again, blows my mind, Texas Tech, and Kansas. So right now, this thing is flipped upside down, but there's still some ball to play. So the Big 12 has some potential here with their two ranked teams, okay? Um, when you look at, uh, what was said, the SEC right now, the SEC currently Florida, Georgia, and Tennessee are all undefeated. So after Saturday, Georgia or Tennessee is going to drop the, uh, I'm sorry. And this is the Eastern side of the SEC rather, because I have to get used to the fact that 
I'm so used to looking at the ACC um, schedule of the ACC standings because I'm used to seeing them, you know, uh, in their different divisions here, uh, Atlantic and Coastal. Now I'm going, oh, right. We're just talking about you know, SEC still still playing divisional ball. ACC's letting everybody play. This year's a free-for-all. But top three teams in the East, Florida, Georgia, and Tennessee. So after Saturday, this is going to shift. In the West, the only undefeated team is Alabama. Then you've got Arkansas and Mississippi State. So as you remember, Mississippi State went to LSU and beat the Tigers. So it's crazy times in Stark Vegas right now. And then from Arkansas all the way down to the bottom, everyone's one and one. So there's a little bit more balance on the Western side of the SEC. But you know that as these teams begin to play each other in division and out of division, it's going to start to get really crazy. So these numbers are going to change tremendously. However, from top to bottom, you look at this and you've got a number of good teams. I mean, Arkansas is coming through Mississippi state, you know, LSU still in there. Um, you know, uh, this, this thing could go either direction on the Western side of this, on the Eastern side, you know, there's Kentucky. Kentucky's had some good success over the last few years. They're zero and two right now. Again, it could all shift. South Carolina and Vanderbilt are the teams that worry me right now because, again, you know, those are two teams with coaches that are on the hot seat. So, as I mentioned, Will Muschamp, he's really uh, hearing it from the fans right now, and um, they're really not happy with uh, kind of how uh, things are going uh, for them. But to my point, I think that if you're going to put an asterisk on any of these championships that are being um, uh, uh, played for in this year, I think it should be the college football playoff championship. And it's because you've got these conferences, they're kind of playing in their own space because of COVID. You know, they said, well, we're going to play football, but we're just going to have to play either, you know, mostly a conference only schedule. Some of these schools had to fill in uh, games or postpone games because of either COVID or they had to postpone games because other schools had canceled. But because you've got these conferences playing in their own lanes, I think it narrows the ability to really, I guess, evaluate these teams in a way that you can say, okay, well, ACC is playing just ACC. SEC is just playing SEC. I mean, you look at the only thing you can look at right now is how each conference looks from top to bottom. And right now, you know, if you look at ACC, just as an example, Clemson, Miami, North Carolina, Virginia Tech are at the top. Notre Dame is in there. They've only played one conference game there. I think they get back to conference play this week. Um, yeah, I forget who they play. Um, and then you've got two two and one teams in NC State and Pittsburgh. And then you've got three one and one teams at Boston College, Virginia and Georgia Tech. Syracuse is one and two. And then your last four teams are 0 for whatever Florida State, Louisville, and Wake Forest are 0 and 2. Duke is 0 and 4. But again, you look at this top five cluster of teams, and right now these are the five teams to beat. But Clemson overall, number one team in the country, you know, best quarterback, best running back in the country, you know, they're the standard right now for everyone. But as I said, barring any major meltdown by this team, it's just Clemson. You look at these other conferences and you say, okay, well, there's 
some room for other teams to make a move and potentially win their 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 conference. But because of so much of this um, uh, fractioning of the season and the change they had to make, I don't really think that this championship that will be won this year, I think you kind of can put a little asterisk by it to say, you know, this was not a true season from the standpoint of you didn't get to see those great uh, out of conference matchups. You know, you don't get to see um, Georgia go play Clemson or Alabama go play Ohio State or what have you. You just don't see these great matchups. And I think that takes away from the season, obviously, but I think it takes a lot away from just evaluating these teams. You can evaluate them by themselves, but I just think it just takes away from the whole, you know, in-conference, out-of-conference thing. So, and then the order in which these conferences are coming into play, everyone's just doing their own thing right now based upon the different plans. And and and, and I know there are Big Ten fans out there who probably say, well, we could have been in it if they didn't cancel the season from the beginning. Yeah, you're right. Um, I, you know, wasn't crazy about the idea, but at the same time, too, if they felt it was the best thing, then, you know, who am I to argue? But evidently they found some evidence that they should play. So, again, as I said, who am I to argue if you're going to play, if safety is going to be paramount, then they should play. But I think that this could be the year of the asterisk because, again, it's going to be. Um, I don't say maybe I don't, I, I hesitate to say a little bit more difficult to pick four teams. I don't think it's going to be that difficult to pick four teams, but I just feel like the criteria for which you pick the four teams that won't change, but I kind of feel like you're going to really have to really parse out a lot of things in those criteria in order to pick the four best teams to play for this championship. So at the end of the day, this will be a championship. It will be an earned championship. Don't get me wrong. I, you know, whoever wins it, they won it. But I think because of the means, the manner by which the season was, was played, you kind of can put that little asterisk there to say, eh, COVID just ruined everything. But doesn't disease just ruin everything? Really? Does it? It does. Um, so that's kind of my take on that. Um, so I kind of want to get your thoughts on it. I'll kind of, you know, post a little uh a poll on Twitter to see, you know, what do you think? Do you think that this will be a year we should put an asterisk on uh, this championship? But to kind of tack on one more point here, um, and I'll go ahead and put this out there. I am one of those people who is in favor of expanding the college football championship, uh, championship playoff. However, there are talking heads who they play the sport. They play the sport. They know the sport. They understand the rigors of being a student athlete. I get it, but they will tell you that you know playing an 18 tournament would be kind of crazy. But in my head, I'm going. But don't they do tournaments in FCS? They do. How do they manage it? Now, mind you, they play more teams. All I'm saying is expand the championship field by four more teams and you know what happens there you have how many power conferences you have five power conferences so you've already covered 
five of those slots by saying, if you win your conference, you get into this, you get into the championship. Now, some people will tell you, well, that takes all the fun out of actually playing a season. But I'm thinking you're going to play regardless. You're going to play because that's that's the end goal. So if you happen to win your conference, then you're in. If you don't, then you go somewhere else. It's just that simple. I don't understand how there's this. Oh, well, it just takes away from the way that you play. I don't know. I heard this on one of these shows that they were trying to make this argument that if you just make it an automatic bid and it takes away from the actual play on the field. And I don't know the, the argument's a little fuzzy to me at this point. Cause it, I heard a song ago and I just thought it was a little bit ridiculous, but I say this expand it to eight teams, cover your power five, no arguments there because everyone's to argue when you have to pick four teams, everyone argues. There's always going to be that one team that says, Oh, well, we did everything we were supposed to do and we're still on the outside looking in because it's a crappy system. Expanded to eight, take your five power five champions. Now, where's the argument going to be where you have to pick your group of five teams? So you have to pick your three best teams from the group of five, rank those guys, then say, we'll take the three best from y'all, put everybody in the hat, rank the teams one to eight, see them, put them in, let them play. Boom. There you go. Because I don't know about you. I've been used to listening to people uh, argue and complain about who should have gotten in versus who shouldn't in NCAA tournament. You can kind of make those arguments one way or the other. It's the same thing with football. But my whole thing is, why don't you argue about the, the, the group of five? The power five is pretty straightforward. You've got five champions. Let them in. How hard is that? Because guess what? If they're legit, they're going to win. If they're not legit, they're going to get the butts kicked. Isn't that why you play the game? Isn't that, didn't Herman Edwards say that? It's why you play the game. Hello. But I digress. That will probably be a new, a, a new topic for a new rant at another time. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I appreciate your time. Thank you for listening and indulging me in this on this journey. So this is my 35th episode. Um, I thank you for coming along with me before I go real quick. It's halftime of the Lakers heat game. The Lakers up by two. I'm going to try to catch some of this second half because this looks like this is going to be really, really good. Um, MLB playoffs. Uh, let's see who's winning here. Uh, ha, 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 ha. Uh, scores and scores refresh here. Uh, Devil Rays lead the Yankees five to four in game two, and the Padres and the Dodgers are in the top of the second with no score. All right, hit me up on Twitter. Thank you for listening. It's it's Uncle Dub, I T S U N C L E underscore D U B. Until next time for episode 36, I appreciate you listening and have a great night and the rest of your week.